You got great content. Now get ready for more with Don Grimshaw. So I have been throwing out a lot of verbal offers, not a lot of written offers, but I'll say like, hey, I, I ran the numbers on this. It just doesn't make sense at that price. And then they'll always be like, well, what price does it make sense at? And I tell them and they're like, oh, no, he's not going to sell it for that. I'm like, well, OK, if he changes his mind, let me know. Um, so I think there's a, still a lot of mindset in a seller's mind that we're still in you know, 2021, early 2022 when the market was hot. Um, rates were low and people were willing to pay that much for those properties. I mean, there's several properties that I bought in the last couple of years that I wouldn't buy today at a seven and a half percent interest rate, but they made sense at the time. And now I've got the low interest rate and it's fine. Um, I had one property that I bought last year that when they came out with the new tax levy, I mean, it it doubled. My taxes doubled Ouch. and it would not have made sense at double taxes on that apartment building. Um, and, you know, now it's really cutting into my cash flow, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I mean, you, you try to protest your taxes and sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. Um, but the numbers have to make sense today. And if the numbers make sense at a seven and a half percent interest rate, I know rates are going to come back down and I can always refinance. And then that's just going to increase what I'm going to net on that property. But it has to make sense at the current interest rate. I mean, there's cash buyers out there that they don't care about the interest rate and that's fine. Um, but most people are probably going to have to get a loan on that and what they're carrying costs is are huge. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. You know what I love about this, though, is uh, you're you're sitting here and you have um, the I don't even know how to ask this anymore. But like you, what's your portfolio look like? This is the whole like, how many units do you have question? <laughs> but I know you guys have a bunch of rentals, right? Yeah. Like you, you've done this for a long time. Like what, what is your portfolio like today? Yeah. So we have um, about 46 doors and we have a combination of apartments, houses, duplexes. Um, we have short term, we have midterm, we have long term rentals. So it's just kind of all over the board, but it's all residential right now. And I'm really wanting to get into something more commercial um, and some bigger apartment buildings, but I'm just having a really hard time getting anything to cash flow right now. Now, for the person that's listening to this and doesn't really know what a short, mid, and long is, can you kind of explain the differences between the three? Yeah. So a short-term rental is kind of like a vacation rental, but it doesn't have to be in a vacation area. I mean, we have short-term rentals in Omaha. So those are the kind of things like you would find on like an Airbnb or a VRBO. Um, midterm is more, you know, 30 days to three months. So like you're visiting nurses, that kind of stuff. Do you mainly do nurses with that or do you other things? Too? I have all kinds of things. So, I mean, we get a lot of nurses, but we also like with a big hailstorm that we had, we had a ton of people roofers. that were yeah roofers, insurance adjusters, people that do like hail repair on cars. Um, and so they would come in for a few months at a time. So, you know, we had really, really good, that, that hailstorm was really good for my rentals. <laughs> we had really good bookings. Um, you know, we've got great things like College World Series here. People are always like, why do you have short-term rentals in Omaha? Who comes to Omaha? Well, College World Series, Berkshire Hathaway, people come for work all the time. I can't believe how many people come for the zoo. 
like I've lived here my whole life other than the few years we lived in Cedar Rapids and you know yeah we got a great zoo but do people really <laughs> travel yeah, they I travel I don't understand it either I, I I literally have one property on 19th and L and it is just full of zoo people all uh-huh. the time yeah yeah, I can't believe how many people are coming for that. But we have a lot of other things like, you know, there are people who come for hair conferences. There's people who come for dog shows. There's people who come for whatever. There's an untapped market that you might not know about, and that's traveling electricians. Oh, really? There's a huge market for that. Um, we, I had traveling electricians in, in the building you're currently in. They were going unit to unit, and they were like, we're here for almost two years. But we go home every weekend. Mm-hmm. And they're like, do you have a place for us? So I had an Airbnb. I was actually just t- getting ready to turn on. And I put them in there. And like, um, and they did an 18-month lease of a fully furnished Airbnb that I had ready to go. Wow, you need to hook me up. And and <laughs> they and I guess the Google electricians and the Facebook uh-huh. electricians and the people who work on Amazon, all those guys, they don't have places to stay. Yeah. And they and they get so annoyed because they have to change places over and over again. Uh-huh. And so I, I have this little like seven hundred square foot house, two bedroom, and they pay I don't even remember seventeen eight hundred bucks a month. And and yeah, seventeen hundred bucks a month. They're there for eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Hey, l- let me ask you guys something. So let's say uh, whoever's listening to this, whatever city you're in, there's probably going to be some type of larger construction project going on. So like, let's say it's a data center that's being built, or like in Omaha, there's the University of Nebraska Medical Center. They they have like a two billion dollar uh, project where they're going to build this gi- these two gigantic towers, and they're going to have all these people coming in for employment. And you're talking about midterm and like nursing and and like there's some attractive spreads that you can make on your rentals, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody's living in a city and they have a large construction project going on, like we're talking about now, is it a good idea to call maybe Google or uh, like another you know builder employer something like that and talk to their HR department or relocation? Like what what how do you go about capturing some of this? Um, people that are coming into town like electricians, they're going to be working forever. Also, Michael Freed, uh, again, I mentioned him earlier. He's He was a master electrician. He's with uh, um, he's working on the Google building, I think, for 20-plus years. Or he, he's with uh, Miller Electric and then was working on the Google building at the end there. And he told me that it, one resource you could reach out to is your local electrical union or your plumber's union, depending mm-hmm. on what's going on. Uh, he said that a lot of those guys are always looking uh, looking for stays, and they'll post that. They can post that stuff up there, or you can call your big electrical companies. Um, so, like uh, the guys that I have, we're working for a big firm, and uh, that's based locally, but they're outsourcing, and so you can reach out to them, and say, "Hey, I got this available." That's interesting. So it's like you're kind of in outbound sales at that point, right? But it takes maybe a, a, a you know a few phone calls, and there's uh, and you and I have talked about this, Ted, but like midterm you know, rentals, a lot of times are the, that's the term that's being applied to traveling nurses, traveling Mm -hmm. medical professionals, and you could reach out to staffing companies. And there's a lot of those around the nation, right? So you could reach out to them, maybe talk to them about what they're doing to place, uh, you know, nursing, traveling nurses and so forth. And yeah. And hospitals reaching out to their HR relocation departments, you're going to find somebody and maybe that's a way you can do an end around on you know, Airbnb or short-term rental booking fees mm-hmm. and taxes and, and all that stuff. Yeah, and a lot involved. of my people are repeat people like the nurses. They'll come back for multiple contracts or they know other people who are. So I get a lot of like, hey, my friend's looking too. Do you have anything open? And then if I don't, I'll reach out to some of the other people that I know that have furnished short-term rentals to see if they do. Um, the problem is just trying to get it open for the length of time 
that people want. So if you're trying to do short term and midterm, sometimes that can be very difficult because you have a week here or a few days there that are already booked. Um, so you kind of almost have to devote your property to one or the other. I mean, sometimes it works out that it can be the opposite, but you know, you almost have to devote one or the other so that you have that time available. So I, 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 I fail in that department because all my properties are set up to be midterm or, or short term. I have everything that needs for both. My goal is to have midterm, but then bring in short term in the middle. Mm-hmm. But there, there was a, something I want to bring up is you made a comment earlier about real estate. You get in what you put, what you put in, right? Mm-hmm. I think you said something along those yeah, words. Yeah, you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. And, and the same thing kind of goes with the, with the midterms. Uh, if you got to put work into it to, mm-hmm. to make it successful. And if, it, if that is called Calling on your local unions or calling, getting on Furnished Finder, or it doesn't just come to you. If it does that, you're probably going to fail while you're waiting for that business build. I'm not saying it's not going to come, mm-hmm. but you got to put in, you got to put some time into it, and you got to build it, right? Yeah, and it helps that I'm a realtor too, so I just email it out to my brokerage and sometimes to the whole MLS agents. Um, when I have something open, because, you know, a lot of times we sell a house and somebody's building or, you know, whatever, there's some overlap, some situations where people need someplace to stay for a month or two. Um, So I do have a lot of success booking off platform. But I would say, I mean, I still find a lot of bookings through like an Airbnb service. Um, The thing that people need to be really aware of with these short term and midterm rentals is Airbnb cannot be your only Go to. So everybody calls a short term rental an Airbnb. It is not an Airbnb. It is a short term rental. And so that is one platform that they can book you on. But Airbnb can shut you down and completely mm. destroy your business overnight for nothing. Uh, and can, do you have an example of that? Because I have a great one to piggyback on yours. Yeah. So I haven't personally had it happen to me, although we almost could have had it happen when we had a crazy police situation in one of our Airbnbs. Um, but I'm on a lot of the national Facebook groups and you hear all the time of like somebody claimed I had cameras inside my house, which I don't. And so Airbnb, before they even investigate, they just shut you down and they take you off the platform. And it's not just that property. It's all of your properties. Brad Bader uh, talked about this. I'm sorry. David Bader talked about this. He has a mansion in the middle of Lincoln, Nebraska that he had rented. He he had a package show up and he rents that. I remember a thousand bucks a night or something, right? Um, yeah, 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 if not more, yeah. it depends on the time of year. Thousand fifteen hundred bucks a night, and he had a package show up from Amazon. So he messaged them on the app and said, "Hey, I and it's his personal house. Mm-hmm. Hey, I had an Amazon package uh, show up. It, it's got some really expensive cameras inside. Can you put that inside for me?" Well, they put a complaint in on it on him, and they shut down his property. They got the free stay for the week. And then, and then he lost the next two weeks of tenants because they had to do an investigation on him. He's like, here's the app here. This is a miscommunication and mm-hmm. a misunderstanding. And he, he was shut down for what, two, three weeks, I think he said in the podcast. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And in this building here, um, I had somebody complain of a gas smell, but Emily was here within 15 minutes. They said there's no gas leak. Um, wasn't actually until this weekend I found out the details of it, but um, we had we had uh, a sewer smell coming through the pipe. Well, actually, we had a crack in a, in a main line, which the guys are literally upstairs fixing right now because I had water pouring through a ceiling. And uh, and long story short, that that smell was coming because of that crack. Never a guess. Well, they reported they didn't like our response, and and uh, Airbnb got a re- got a letter from our property manager, got a letter from uh, an MED. They shut down every – now, I don't have a huge portfolio, but eight Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. They shut down the whole portfolio 
of all my properties for a safety check for over two weeks while they investigated that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like there was actually an investigation. Somebody just had to read the stuff. And, yeah. and we had a letter from MVD saying no gas was found. Uh, property management said there was nothing found. But they, uh, they they had to do a quote-unquote safety check and shut everything down, which really, I mean, I mean, I'm starting, I'm trying to build my business still in this, mm-hmm. and, you know, and losing several thousands of dollars is a big deal for this for this business we're trying to get up. Yeah, so I think people become so reliant on that. And number one, if you're going to buy something that's a short-term and mid-term rental, you need to make sure that you have the money that you can support, no income for a while. And like our Arizona house, like it doesn't rent in the summer. Like I'm carrying all those expenses all summer. I make money in the winter, and you know it's kind of the opposite here, where we make more money in the summer. Summer, less money in the winter. They still rent in the winter, but not not as much. So people just see the stars in the eyes of like, I can make X number of dollars per night. And it's like, well, yeah, you can, but how much vacancy are you going to have? What happens if Airbnb shuts you down for no apparent reason or sometimes for a valid reason. So we had a crazy thing that happened in one of our Airbnbs. And we do have a ring camera on the front. And we actually had a contractor working on it's a duplex over by Creighton, um, which is a big college here in in Omaha. And um, we had a contractor working at the time. So he was there when when it all went down. But there were like cops and not just cops, like, like the drug sniffing dogs and the like, What's the like the CSI CSI like CSI or like, no not CSI what is it called here DCI yeah where uh, they come and they're DA. like yeah like if they think that there's a like some kind of drug issue or whatever so they had they brought in all of these people cops everywhere were like what the heck is going on in our house um, so turns out these people had taken their infant to the hospital. And the infant had tested positive for methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. And they had no idea where this child was exposed to it. The parents said that they don't do drugs, that they didn't have any drugs in the house, but they came into our unit. He was here for work and had brought his his wife and his children. Um, They came into our unit and tested our entire unit. Like They were surface testing to make sure it wasn't something they picked up inside our unit. Apparently, the parents went and voluntarily got their own drug test because the hospital didn't drug test them and the cops weren't drug testing them. And they had basically removed this child from their home and had put them in protective custody. Oh, my God. And so these people went and got their own drug test. They tested negative. Um, Nobody can figure out where this kid was exposed, but they were trying to say it was inside our unit. And so I was just like, holy crap, they're going to shut us down. (laughs) They're going to shut everything down. And it's something that, you know, we thoroughly clean between people like, you know, but you don't know what somebody could have had in that house and where a baby would crawl and find something. And, you know, they didn't find anything and they didn't end up shutting us down. But I mean, it could have been really, really ugly. And Airbnb was not helpful. I mean, they don't communicate well you know they're investigating but yeah they're not really investigating like nothing's happening they're not telling us i mean they basically just took this guy off our reservation like he didn't exist like they just canceled his reservation like we couldn't even see that he was a past guest so we didn't even have like a phone number to contact this guy anymore to even talk to him to figure out what was going on i mean it was it was horrible so this is a cautionary tale if you're getting into short-term rentals and like you mentioned or like kind of uh, drew the dividing line here, short-term rental doesn't mean Airbnb. Airbnb is a platform that you can list a short-term rental on or a property on. I mean, 
you could it could be a hybrid it could be all all different kinds of things but there's a lot of things that can happen outside of your control i think is the message here mm -hmm. so if you're underwriting a deal and your plan is to go all in on short term rentals be aware of the challenges that working with these big national platforms or international platforms can can have uh and and you have to underwrite a deal very carefully you can't say oh Look at the cash flow numbers for the year. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be aware of the climate that you're dealing with. So that's the first thing I noticed you mentioned. It was like Omaha, you know, like is a Midwest, you know, town. And we have a lot of travel here in the summer and a lot of events in the summertime. Winter, not so much. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. the opposite climate in, say, like Florida or Phoenix or, you know, other locations like that, you have to plan for those things and, and be able to withstand some punches uh, that might get thrown at you that you're not expecting. Right. right? And just like any rental, I mean, you're going to have unexpected expenses. You're going to have your water heater goes out, your furnace goes out, whatever. And if you're not making any income at the same time that those things happen, it can really bite somebody in the butt. So, you know, a lot of new investors come to me and say, oh, I want to buy an Airbnb. And I'm like, well, first of all, you don't want to buy an Airbnb. You want to buy a short-term rental. Second of all, do you have the money to furnish it? You've got to pay all the utilities on it, you know, all of the maintenance, the snow removal, the lawn care, all of those things that you don't pay on a long-term rental, can you pay all of that if you don't have income coming in? Because, I mean, it costs anywhere from, depending on how nice and how big, I mean, twenty dollars to $60,000 to set one of these up. You know, an apartment obviously is less expensive, but if we buy, like mm -hmm. our house in Arizona, I mean, we spent close to $100,000 by the time we, we, I mean, we, it needed paint, it needed new flooring, it needed, you know, like all of the stuff we had to put a pool heater in, all the stuff we had to do and then furnish it. I mean, that's a lot of money out of your pocket to start up and it takes you years to recoup that. One thing that I, I've been looking into lately is getting a website built mm -hmm. and uh, that way I can offer the short-term rental option on, on the website so that Airbnb is not the only platform. And I've been talking to a developer also that is building a platform that connects all the short-term rentals but also takes it. So um, if somebody books on one platform, it, it, it puts on all the other platforms that, you, that you're booked out. Mm -hmm. But to really push that I have my own option. Now, one thing I do know, and that thing that comes up quite a bit, is if you do do your own bookings, you lose a lot of those insurance protections that an Airbnb, VRBO, et cetera, et cetera, offers you. Um, is Are those any of those concerns to you when you're not using the platforms and you're in your self-booking because you do lose that million-dollar protection, whatever not? Um, in, in my opinion, Airbnb... Their protection, although it exists, it's really hard to actually get any money out of them. Mm -hmm. So that is not important to me. I mean, yes, of course, you want to have good insurance, but I have a really good insurance policy through my insurance person that's specific for short-term rentals that also covers me on a lot of those things that maybe you would claim to Airbnb. Um, I also use a third-party system to manage all of my Airbnbs. Um I say I just said it now. Airbnb short term rentals. Ted brainwashed you. <laughs> I manage my short term <laughs> rentals. Um, so they can book directly through there. They can book directly with me, and I have a short term rental agreement that I use with people. Um, but through the the third party site, and there's there's many different options out there. But you can create a website. You can collect payments. It'll like manage all of your calendars together. So if you're using an Airbnb, a VRBO, and Booking.com, it meshes all of the calendars together. Um, and if you make a change on one listing, it'll change on all of the listings. 
Um, and then it has the opportunity for you to like take credit card payments through there. And then you also get, there is an insurance option on there too. We had Ryan Miller on the podcast and he got really into the, all the different automated systems that he has. And I've mm-hmm. mentioned this numerous times on here. Is there uh, systems that you use outside of your, the, the different platforms that, to support your short-term business? Yeah. So I use Guesty. And so that's, they have their own website. That's who coordinates all my calendars. I can have like basic, you know, this is the check-in message that everybody gets two days before. This is the checkout message everybody gets 24 hours before they leave. Um, so it just automatically does all of that for me. I also have an assistant for my real estate business that also helps with communication. And she's my co-host on all of my properties so that she can, you know, coordinate the cleaners and do all of that kind of stuff that she needs to do. Um, like my pool guy in Arizona is on my guestie. So he gets a, a message every time somebody's checking in or checking out. So he knows when there's guests there, if he can go do work on the pool in between people or whatever, he gets that notification too. Now, Ryan mentioned that he had a, he had one company, and I'm not going to quote on the companies that he was using, but he had one company that handled all the messaging systems. He had another company that automatically changed all his pricing for him, depending on what was going on in the market. He had another company that he used that, uh, that actually was a cleaning service. So mm-hmm. there was a whole bunch of, uh, uh, made services that were available and then they put it out this the, the, one of the other systems put it out there that the airbnb was open and then the made service took took the bid and came and cleaned it had to take pictures submit the pictures and then another one of his programs actually changed the codes on his electronic locks to the last four digits of the of the person staying there's phone number automatically and then turn the locks off when they're leaving do you use any of those other types of services um guesty will actually do a lot of that they don't do the coordinating your cleaning person but i've got a really great cleaner here in omaha and then my property manager that co-hosts with me in arizona has a great cleaning cleaning crew so um that's not really an issue for me because there's i've already got people in place to do that um but guesty you can do like if you have the right lock like you can set it up to change codes for you um if you have the right you know messages in there it'll do all your communication for you i mean so the I, although I love technology, like sometimes you can get a little too in the weeds with, you know, you have six different things you're managing now. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for simple. Have you, have you heard Ryan's podcast? I have not. No. So he's like, I think he said he had three Airbnbs. He just got it going and with, uh, it's fully automated. He said he went two months without talking to somebody and he was a super host mm. and, and it was completely hands off, had no communication and, and everything was fully automated. Yeah. No. And I love that. But I also, again, I'm a cult- control freak, which is why I manage all my own properties. And so I like to have that communication. I like to um, be involved in the day to day. And, you know, there's a lot of services out there that will price for you, but I have not found any that are super accurate, especially for our market. And so I like to have control over the booking and the prices. I'm super control freak too, but I like just to control my property manager that runs <laughs> When you're looking at now, you you have a large portfolio. So you have you said forty eight units, forty six units, and of that mix, what do you have as long term versus short term or medium term rentals? Um, so right now we have eight that are either short term or mid term here, and then the one in Arizona, and then we're looking for another one in Arizona right now. How how much time do you think? having a short-term rental, like let's take your, so you have a portfolio of 46, you have eight or nine that are short-term, right? So that's what uh, one-sixth of your portfolio. So 16% of your time, if you was all same, same, you'd be devoting to those properties. How much difference does it make short-term rental versus long-term rental? And how do you go about deciding what makes a good one versus not? 
it's a it's kind of a difficult question because it depends what kind of a long-term rental you're comparing it to. So if you're comparing it to a single family, unfurnished long-term house that somebody rents on a year basis, it's it's more work. It's a lot more work. Um, you got to do a lot more coordination, a lot more communication, furnish, stock toilet paper, all of that crazy stuff. Um, if you're comparing it to like my apartments, I don't think they're really that much work. I mean, yes, I do have to still make sure that, you know, the supplies are there and, you know, furnish it and pay more fees because I've got to have, but you know, like my apartment buildings, I'm already paying for snow removal. I'm already paying for lawn care. Um, tenants in an apartment building are much more labor intensive than a tenant in a single family house, but you also make more money on apartment buildings because of the number of doors under one roof. Um, so that's where you see the big differences. If you're a new investor and you want something that's easy, like a long-term rental house, that's the way to go. Cause I mean, I literally talk to those people once or twice a year. You know, they pay me every month. They call me if something breaks. That's pretty much it. Time to renew your lease. If your portfolio just consisted of one thing, what would it be? Um, for me personally, the one that gives me the best return and is the most fun to do are the short-term rentals. I mean, I have a little bit of a shopping addiction. And so it <laughs> feeds my addiction to be able to buy and decorate these houses. But much to my husband's chagrin when he sees the bills. <laughs> my, my wife's always like, you make these properties look nicer than our own house. I know. <laughs> I love I love it. And so, you know, we're shopping for these houses and it's like, ooh, I could do something really cute with that. Um, but from a new investor standpoint or somebody that doesn't have a lot of income or reserves, I would never recommend that they do a short-term rental. And I will say, honestly, I mean, the market is saturated. When we started doing them a few years ago, there was very few properties in Omaha. And um, our house in Arizona is actually in Fountain Hills. We bought outside of Scottsdale, Phoenix, because they are so oversaturated in Scottsdale, Phoenix. And when we bought our property in Fountain Hills, there was only a handful of properties on a short-term rental site, like an Airbnb there. Um, and now... There's a million of them. I mean, it's so saturated. Like you keep hearing this word like Airbnb bust. Have you heard that? No. Like, yeah, they're talking about we saw the listings on Airbnb increase 60% over the last few years. And the number of bookings have only increased like 2%. And so that means a lot of vacancies in a lot of people's houses. And so if you're not confident to carry that through vacancy, or if you're not confident that you can do a really, really good job on that short-term rental, then you should not be doing a short-term rental. I know my property manager brought up the fact that, you know, you just got to be competitive during these off seasons. You, you know, any money is better than no money. So even if you got to drop the price half or whatever, it's good to keep your property occupied, keep, you know, because you're keeping the pipes going. It's occupied so people can't break into it. And at least you're making something. What's your well, thoughts on that? I disagree. I mean, I will discount some depending on what's going on in the market. But to get a really cheap booking is actually going to cost me more money because that's when you get the partiers. You get people who, you know, would be better suited for a hotel. And now they're booking your place because it's cheap. Um, so in my experience, 
sometimes that can bite you in the ass. That's, that's a good tip. I mean, that's why when you have these conversations, right? One thing that you mentioned earlier that I really want to touch base on is you mentioned that the fact that there was a, about three years ago, you tripled your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And what was that mo- moment that made you decide that we need to take this to the next level? And how were you able to triple your portfolio? Because you can't just do say, hey, I'm going to triple it. And, and it happens. It takes it takes planning. It takes money. And so what was your plan and what was the igniter for you? So it's a combination of things. I mean, obviously, you know, money was cheap. That's huge. Prices were going up. And so all of the things that we already owned prior to 2019, 2020 had a lot of equity in it. And so it doesn't cost you that much to refi and cash out of a property. And when I can put a two or three or four percent mortgage on that and pull all the cash out, it totally made sense to to do that, to reinvest that money. Um, so we pulled hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the properties that we already owned. Um, we put some of them in big portfolio swap loans and then pulled that money to buy other, other properties. Um, so that really helped us really kind of jumpstart some some bigger investing and getting into more apartment buildings and more expensive investments than we'd previously been doing. We'd just been doing, you know, typical single family, smaller houses. Um, and then what was happening in the market just as a whole from a real estate standpoint, um, if you were a realtor the last couple of years, it wasn't as much fun as people think think it would have been. Because, you know, you're seeing 20 offers and you're like, oh my gosh, you're making so much money. This must be awesome. Well, yeah, it is kind of. Um, but for every listing I had, that was 100 phone calls, 100 texts, 100 emails. I mean, constant barrage of people reaching out to you. And then you used to have one offer, or maybe two offers you go through with your client. Well, now I have 20 offers that I have to go through a very detailed analysis with with my client. Um, so it was a lot of time and energy. And then on the buyer's agent side, everything was an emergency. So like, oh my gosh, this house got listed and I need to see it in the next two hours or it's going to be sold. And so for somebody that does the volume that I do, it was very, it was very overwhelming and, you know, it was very easy to get burnt out because, I mean, I literally couldn't leave my business. I mean, it was 24 seven. And even if I wasn't here, it was like, I got to find somebody to get this door open for these people because they want to buy this house. And it was a lot of stress. And so you start looking at like, well, I can make money over here. <laughs> it's a lot less stress and a lot more fun. Um, so it's not like I'm you know, going to leave the real estate industry and stop selling real estate. Um, but it was a real big motivator to be looking at like, what's my exit plan? Like I, I need to build my portfolio so I have a really good exit plan. You mentioned earlier that uh, the kids were kind of like your why in the beginning, you know, to have that time with the kids. Now that your kids have grown up, you know, and the the market was going as crazy as it has been, has that has that affected you and taking your time away from the kids, or have you found other ways to to create that family time and that balance? Well, now that my kids are, you know, 20 and 23, they don't really want to spend as much time with me. So that's kind of sad. Come on, (laughs) Sasha and Jillian. Jeez. (laughs) It's kind of sad. But I mean, we still make it a point where, you know, on Sundays, they're going to come over for dinner or, you know, we still do family vacations where, you know, it's it's great where we can take the whole family and and go someplace for a week. Um, So I still can really make it a priority to spend time with my kids when it's important but again, my kids are older, so I'm in a different life place than I was when they were little, and they they don't want to hang out with mom. <laughs> hey, on that topic, the generational wealth thing, we talked about this a little bit before we got on air. Um, 
how does things how do things look now? You got started in two thousand four, mm-hmm. right? And have built a portfolio. You've done uh, a lot of different things: short term rentals, long term rentals, mid term rentals. You've done a flip. I understand, which we'll talk <laughs> about in a minute. Yeah, and uh, now you have you know children that have. Uh, come up through your household and now they're, you know, now you're an empty nester. Like maybe how do looking at, you know, kind of the 30,000 foot lens here, you and Joe have transitioned into him being a little more active in the business or at least interested in paying attention more. Um, And your kids are now out of the house. But when you look at like, if we're talking about this, if we're having this conversation, say 20 years from now, what do you hope your kids are going to get out of this or how do you see your, you know, kind of family legacy playing out? Well, I really hope that my kids at some point in time are going to have some appreciation and some interest in the rental portfolio that we've built. I mean, my whole goal was to be able to have wealth that you can pass on to your kids. Um, with real estate, it's kind of the most amazing investment, the way that the tax rules are currently, and they've been this way for a long time. So I don't, see any changes coming down the pipeline, but you never know depending on who's in office. But right now, the way that it looks is if I die, my kids inherit all of my property for free at today's current fair market value. So they could keep it and start with a new basis on that property, or they could sell it and just get the cash tax free. And so there really isn't any other investment that you can pass wealth on like that. And, you know, if they hold it, that's income in their pocket every single month for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, by the time we die, these properties will be paid off and be worth a lot more money than they are now. Um, So that was kind of our thought process on one of the reasons why real estate is the best way to invest your money to pass on to your family. I mean, of course, there's a million reasons why we invest in it, including tax benefits, which are huge. Um, but from a, from a generational wealth standpoint, that's why all the rich people invest in real estate. It's a, a fine line between uh, really annoying your kids with, uh, <laughs> you know, hammering home the point of real estate is responsible for your life now and everything that, you know, you see your parents and, you know, your whole upbringing um, and, you know, forcing that on them versus introducing them to concepts early on and having them adopt that or, or at least look back on that in a fond way, instead of just saying, Oh, they really tried to force that down my throat and I'm just not into it. I want to do, I want to forge my own path or whatever. But I think it's important to show the reminder continuously of, you know, to your, to your kids and, and those, you, you know, those who are behind you down the lineage, right? So, So this is how we built our wealth. And I don't, and I don't know that I have that figured out either because they're not, it's not like kids grow up and they're like, yes, I want to be in real estate. Nobody ever (laughs) does that. I mean, maybe a small handful, but if you kind of paint the picture and say, Hey, here's why we're able to, you know, go to your softball games and, you know, go to your school activities. And we built, you know, our schedule around what's going on in your lives. And we were only able to do that because we didn't work a nine to five and have to be, you know, clocking in and clocking out. I don't know. I just think that's a, it's a, it's tough to pass that knowledge down without being overbearing or having them resent you or just rejecting the the premise of it altogether. I don't know. What what do you think about that, Dawn? Well, honestly, I have not figured out a way to make my kids be interested in real estate. And if anybody does figure it out, I would love for you to share. Um, We've talked about real estate with them 
their entire lives. Of course, you know, they've gone on showings with me. I mean, they've had to go, I've taken them with me to like serve an eviction notice before, um, more from a like, hey, call 911 if you need to, um, but just stay in the car kind of standpoint, like not taking them in, <laughs> in with me. Um, so they've been involved peripherally with that their entire lives and they still have no interest or desire and maybe less interest and desire in real estate having seen everything that we've done. <laughs> it's probably all the crazy weird investment stories we tell at the dinner table afterwards, you know? Right. They're like, that seems like a lot of hard work. I don't want to do that. And, you know, this age that my children are at, 20 and 23, almost 21 and 24 almost, um, it's a different mindset in that generation where they're all about find your joy, do what makes you happy, and they don't care if they make money. I mean, my oldest is like literally like, I don't care what I do as long as I can just pay my bills and I like my job. And I'm like, that's like, you got to earn money. Like, that's <laughs> like, you know, you have no drive or motivation. Like, you were my child. And so, you have some people no... it happens earlier and some people it happens in like when they get in their 30s. You know, yeah. some people it just happens when they have kids. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping that they'll they'll come back to it. My youngest, I thought I had a shot. I mean, I had her talked into when she was 18. She was going to get a real estate license and she was working for me as an assistant. Um, and then she kind of lost her mind as 18 year olds do and, you know, decided she was going to do her own thing. And that's fine. And I just want her to be happy. But, um, yeah, she totally lost interest in real estate. So I thought I had one on the hook. <laughs> what, what, uh, who, uh, who is it that we, we talked to? Oh, Steve Shampoo. Yeah. Steve Shampoo's daughter. And, Andrea. Andrea. And, and they had eight kids. And, and, and Andrea, which is the youngest, was the only one that, uh, jumped onto the whole real estate thing. Like, so she became a real estate agent and she's an investor. Out of all eight kids, she's like, I'm the only one that actually became an investor. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I didn't have enough kids, I guess. <laughs> but I'm hoping maybe six more, six more. No, now. no, no, no. I'm hoping maybe someday one of them will marry somebody that has an interest. I don't know. Or, you know, if they just get to an age where they're like, oh, wait, that's a really good investment. You know, you know what's weird is uh, with my you know, kind of direct to seller, uh, buying business that I have, I've dealt with so many people and families that have inherited, you know, homes. Right. And maybe sometimes they have parents that had a whole bunch of properties and maybe they did or didn't do a good job of running them and, and managing them and keeping them up and taking care of the deferred maintenance. But it's really interesting. I was just thinking about this while you were talking about our kids, right? Because, you can only sh- you, you can show them so much, you know, so much, but until they have the the initiative and and drive to and and they want to come to you with questions, you can't really force it down anybody. It's mm-hmm. like it's like how many times do we talk to our friends that are not in real estate and they, oh, I know. You, you can't talk to them. Even about about what you do every day. Like I tell other realtors, like, why do you not buy rental properties? Like, this is what you do for a living. And, you know, they always have all these excuses as to why they don't do it. And that's what they do for a living. So if you can't talk realtors into investing in real estate, how do you talk the average person into it? I have a very, very strong core group of uh, close friends. And I think maybe one or two out of the 10, 15 of them have ever even come to the meetup. So I'm like, hey, I'll take care of you. Just come, come to a meetup and see what it's all about. My own dad has never even come to my own meetups, and he and he and he works on uh, he does construction on houses. Mm. You know, I'm like I'm like, you ever gonna come to a meeting and just check it out? It just you know, it's impossible. Some people just don't want to, you know, they don't want to learn that business. It's not, it doesn't interest them. You yeah. know, you know why I think it is. I think it's the learning curve. 
Uh, so uh, to kind of like finish the thought on this, I'll meet with uh, so many people that are in like either estate sale situations. They've had parents that like owned a lot of real estate or some real estate and they see what it's done, but maybe they're at the tail end of it where maybe deferred maintenance has kind of crept into the picture or their parents weren't in really good health. So the properties, you know, kind of were downturn. People just don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And they look at it as this is going to be, yeah, they did well, but now it's just a problem in my life. And I, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm not prepared to go through the education necessary to make this a successful business because it is business. Right. And they don't have the contact. So yeah. those of us that are already in real estate, either investing or, or realtor, you know, we have a plumber, an electrician, a contract. I mean, we've got people who do everything. So for us, it's not so overwhelming. Somebody calls you with a problem and you're like, all right, whatever. I just text on so and they go over and fix it. But for the average person who doesn't know anybody, somebody calls them with a problem and they're like, well, who do I even call for that? I, I have a great example for this. So, uh, I, I, we, uh, my, uh, Brandon uh, Tauber and I, we bought a uh, property. Oh, this is probably like, I don't know, a month, month, month and a half ago. And it was a hoarder situation in a really good neighborhood. Like it was just one of those calls that you get every once in a while where the people didn't know what to do with the house. Their parents were just didn't know how to take care of it. They needed to be moved to a home. I went to it and I'm like, you guys should just clean this out and list it. You're going to make a lot more money than we could pay you. Mm -hmm. And they just did not want to deal. Right. So we literally made two phone calls. Our clean out guy and our cleaning crew, they went in, cleaned it out, cleaned it up, and we listed it. And we're going to make probably $40,000 more than what we were able to buy it for. Mm hmm. Only because we had the contacts. That's the only reason. And right. it was not hard. It was just picking up a phone. But people are like, I have no idea even how to deal with this. And they're just overwhelmed. Did you find anything good in there that was <laughs> No, not in that one. <laughs> no. Uh, although we did get a gigantic cleaning bill because evidently our cleaning crew didn't like mice. Ooh. Oh. There was a whole toilet full of mice, evidently. Oh, which gross. I know that people react differently to those things. So, so one of the first house the first house I, I renovated, um, I, I kind of preluded to this earlier, but uh, I got into the attic and there was a, a suitcase in there and come to find out there was a whole bunch of comic books in there and they're all in, in, in sleeves even. And this house is abandoned and, and, and it was a uh, people lived in there. Uh, homeless people lived in it for probably seven years. I bought this house for like 12 grand. Well, I, uh, I, it's been, this package has been sitting in my basement now for years. Right. And I was kind of going through, and I ran in a buddy who has a collectible store uh, in town. And I, I was like, hey, I, I got a, a thing of comic books. And somebody just turned me away. They wouldn't even look at them. And he's like, I, can I bring by to see what you think about them? And he ran through them. And he's like, he's like, well, he goes, to, due to the recession lately, he goes, the market's dropped up almost 40% on collectibles right now. He goes, but, he goes, based on, he got back to me a couple of days later, based on what you have right here, if we get these graded, I think that you, these are worth about $25,000. Oh my god! So twice amount, twice the amount the house costs you. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's awesome. And this thing is smell like mothballs. He's like, yeah. he's like, your whole office stinks. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys had anything that you found that was like extreme value? Or Don, have you had any crazy weird investment stories that you've ran across during um, during your process? I have never had anything that was extreme value. Like, like <laughs> they leave me garbage. Like they, they Dennis had like a what you, like a twenty thousand dollar meth crystal ball on the ceiling once. Yeah, I've, I've never never had anything good just icky stuff left behind unfortunately 
All right, Don, on the topic of uh, failures, maybe uh, you have an example of something that we could go into for our failing forward. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the story of the one and only time that we've actually flipped a house. (laughs) And you know what? People are very successful at flipping. I know Owen does a lot of flipping. I do not because the one time that we did it, everything ended up costing twice as much as we thought. Um, We were young and we didn't have a lot of money and we thought we could do a lot of the work ourselves and and we did, but it almost cost me my marriage and almost cost my husband his job. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. When was this? What year? Um, This was probably 2000, gosh, I would say nine maybe. So you'd been in real estate for a few years, just got into investing for maybe a year, year and a half, something like that? Yeah. I mean, I I bought my first rental in like 2004. So, I mean, I'd I'd been doing it for a few years and, you know, everybody thinks like you're going to make all this money if you, if you flip a house. Um, So, so we did it and I mean, we did end up making a little bit of money, but it was just not not worth it in the end. What happened? What was the deal? And uh, why why didn't it go well? (laughs) You know, like you think you can fix one thing and you end up like we ended up having to take it down to the studs on the second floor. The whole second floor was down to the studs. So we had to like redrywall everything, new trim, new doors, the main floor. I mean, just need, you know, everything cosmetic. And then we had to redo the kitchen. We ended up having to redo the bathroom. Um, it was just one thing after another. We ended up having like mold issues in one of the basement walls. And so by the time we we fixed everything, you know, it cost a lot more. It took a lot longer. We had little kids at the time. And so we're like literally taking them to this house with us every single day and like working on this house. Sucking the mold, kids. I know, these poor kids. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, just sit over there and color. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. They don't want to be in real estate now. <laughs> I know, I know. And then the creepiest thing is while we're like rehabbing this property, we had a neighbor... It it snowed one day and a neighbor came and knocked on the door and it was this, you know, probably middle-aged gentleman. Um, and he's like, Hey, do you want me to shovel your driveway and your sidewalk for you? And I was like, sure. Yeah. We haven't gotten to that yet. You can go ahead and do that. We'll pay you to do it. Um, and he goes, have you met the ghost yet? And I was like, uh, what? And he's like, well, thanks for getting that in our head. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, it's a friendly ghost, but this house is haunted. And so then, like, every night I'm there, like, painting by myself at, you know, midnight. And I'm like, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. And I'm like, oh, my God, is there a ghost in here? Um, so it was just, it, I don't know. It just ended up not being a good experience for us. I mean, now if I were going to flip a house, I would do it completely different. I mean, we obviously rehab a lot of our rentals and our short-term rentals in particular because you need to have those obviously be top-notch to get people to um, rent them. So I rehab a lot, but I pay people to do it. I don't personally do it. Like the extent of my involvement is to buy the stuff for it. And I like it that way. But, you know, you write checks. I write write checks. I call people and I write checks. Um, The other thing I don't like about flipping is just, you know, so you you work so long to make $40,000 and then they take so much of it in taxes that you're like, that was a lot of work for not very much money. I mean, I would rather buy and hold, get the tax benefits or just go sell two more houses for the same amount of money and a lot less headache. I tell you what, uh, I have a ghost uh, supposedly in my top unit here, unit five. Oh. And uh, 
my I had a tenant up there for a little bit. Are you putting this on Airbnb, uploading a video? Yeah, it, it, it is on Airbnb. <laughs> Do you disclose that it's haunted? No, I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. No, <laughs> like maybe maybe you could get more bookings, paranormal right? activity. So maybe. so the guy literally he's like he's like literally I'm in the bathroom and uh, and the door gets pushed open and I'm holding it and it's pushing back and forth. I mean, it's just a couple months ago. And then he's like, and then he goes, whenever it got mad at me, he would just shove stuff off of the countertops and it would fly across the room. And then my and my contractor was living up there and he's the one telling me about this. And he's like, he's like, I gotta get out of this unit. The the ghost doesn't like me and it just messes with me. It slams the doors. I hear the creaking, it'll throw stuff around the room. And I and I've had a couple of Airbnb people in there, and I'm like, hey, any issues? And they're like, no, not at all. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I, I don't know. I I don't know what. The, I'm I'm so in the middle on this one. Yeah, but. I don't know if I believe it or not. One of the apartment buildings that I bought, and actually, my oldest lives in this building now. Um, the cleaning lady that the previous owners used told me that every time she was in that unit, there's hallways. And then there's closets that go to like where this hallway is. Um, and she said every time she was near the closet, she thought it was a portal because she would have like creepy things happen or she'd feel something or she'd hear something. And so I'm always asking my kid, I'm like, hey, when do you ever like see anything or hear anything? And they're like, no. <laughs> so I don't know. Some people, maybe they're just a little more sensitive to it or maybe they're full of crap. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. I am not buying any haunted houses anytime well, soon. Well, I wouldn't purposely, no. <laughs> so tell us a little bit numbers on this property. Like, you, what do you buy it for? What do you sell it for? What? How much time did you have invested into it? Oh, my gosh. That's a long time ago, and I didn't come with my numbers. If you had to guess, I'm sorry. Guess, guess <laughs> yeah, other, not, other than not having your Ghostbusters uh, Geiger counter with you, what was the failure on the on the? Uh, well, it just, I mean, deal. just the amount of time that it took and the, the strain that it was on us personally. and yeah. how much How much time was it? I mean, it took us probably six months and, you know, you think you can go into it and turn it around in, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And, you know, it was it was six months of carrying it and, you know, a lot of a lot of money out of pocket. And, you know, I probably made I think we made like 40 grand on it when, you know, it's all said and done, which sounds like a lot. But then they took taxes out of it. And how much time did it take me to do that? And, you know, in real estate, if I'm not lead generating because I'm spending all of my time fixing a house and painting it and you know whatever like I'm not making money in real estate and so that takes away from from my income and like I said my husband had a has a w2 job and at the time the job that he had um, didn't have as much flexibility as the time the job that he has now and so he was spending a lot of time at the house and you know leaving work early just trying to get it done and yeah it was it was not a good thing you know it's interesting that you bring that up though because you you mentioned like forty grand, yeah, but there's taxes taken out and this and that and the inconvenience and I had to go over there a lot and whatever. But some I, people, I had practically lived there. No, it I, wasn't I, I was going over I there totally a lot. I totally get like, it. I pretty much lived there. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> it just to play devil's advocate here though, you're talking about forty thousand dollars, and if somebody's working a full time job and they're making forty thousand dollars, they're working two thousand hours a year on that job to make forty grand. And let's say it's even double that or triple that to make it worthwhile, right? Like when you look at the big picture, yes, and I get what you're saying because there's an opportunity cost and you you being you know taken away from your realtor business where you could have made maybe some additional money. But 40 grand, even if you have to pay taxes on it but in the short, grand scheme of things. Short-term capital gains yeah. taxes, they take a lot. They do. They take a lot. So like what, 30%, 40%? 
Probably 40 plus percent. Yeah. Because by the time you get your short term capital gains and then your income taxes on it, I mean, that's mm-hmm. depending on what your tax level is, that's 30, 40 percent they're taking in taxes. So let's just say after taxes, I made 25, I could go sell three more houses with a lot less effort and have made the same amount of money. This is the conversation I have with every single client that I work with. That's like, I want to be a flipper. I'm like, do you understand? That you don't get all the profit you're going to make on this, like, right? Yeah, and they've got and they carrying don't, costs. Nobody, nobody, and, yeah. nobody knows that. No, like you think that you just you you fix a house and you sell it and you make all this money. I'm a realtor, so I didn't have to pay commissions. I mean, I I paid mm. the buyer's agent commission, but like a normal person, okay. Well, now you're paying six percent plus your title insurance, your deed stamps, the state of Nebraska, all of your other expenses. So that's <laughs> excuse me, that's seven to eight percent. She gets choked up about flipping. <laughs> <laughs> Allergies. Um, that's seven to eight percent of your net that you would make that you're just paying in fees to sell it. And so, you know, did you really actually make that much money? No. Yeah. This has been awesome info, Don. Uh, you've shared a ton of uh, great information about both short and long term rentals and midterm rentals and uh, why it's a good idea to flip houses. Uh, the, the best idea. Uh, uh, okay. But. <laughs> We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. All right, Don. In this section, we have the same set of questions we ask every guest each week, and uh, they do it. they do change throughout the year. Though. Yeah, we we like to mix them up a little. Keep on, keep you on your toes here. But uh, well, let us know what you got. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Dun, All right. Dun. First question. We for need you. Jeopardy music during this. What <laughs> is your first book titled, and what's it about? So I wrote a real estate book that is not available like on Amazon or for anybody to buy, but my clients get it. So if you buy or sell real estate with me, (laughs) you'll get a copy of my book. Um, And it's just called The Secrets to Selling. And so it just kind of breaks down the things that you need to know in a real estate transaction and how to prepare your home for sale and all that good stuff. So you already have this book Mm -hmm. and and it's written by you? Mm -hmm. Did you know this? Yeah. Uh, he asked <laughs> matter me of fact, I did. He, that's he, why he, he asked, only knew like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> that, that's why he asked the question like that. Oh, and it, so it's on Amazon? And, no, it's not on Amazon. Okay. Like I just I just self-published it and it's just in my garage and boxes. And I so like the areas that I market to, I have some farm areas for people not in real estate. That's like a neighborhood that you, you market to. And do you so, like sprinkle them on the Yeah, uh, like I, I hired people to like drop them off <laughs> like at everybody's store. And then like when somebody <laughs> schedules an appointment with me, like I give them a copy of my book. Now, why wouldn't you put that on Amazon? Well, why would I? It's for my clients. It's <laughs> a special gift. It's a special gift. Right, maybe what? it'll become a bestseller. It's special. It's only for my clients. This is cool. Not, I don't know that I know anybody that's done this. So what gave you the idea to, to uh, you know put this out there? And then what was the process like? Maybe you could talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, I was in a coaching program. I mean, all, all great realtors, you know, everything that they do is because somebody told them to. <laughs> I mean, none, none of us like are recreating the wheel here. Like somebody said, like, "Hey, you should do this," um, and so you know, I worked with with her and and her company on on how I was going to do it and what it was going to look like and the content that was going to be in there. Now, did you make an outline first? Did you do it? Uh, did you write everything? Like, yeah, on we a had PC? an outline. I'm just yeah. kind of like, what's the yeah pe- we had peek an outline. Um, and yeah, so then we just expanded on that outline and then she actually had a company in China that she used to publish her books. And so she gave me the contacts of the, the person that she uses. And so we just did the, the draft and sent it to them and they sent us a 
example copy of it. And then we said, yep, print a whole bunch of them. That's cool. Is there a picture of Ted on the cover? No. It's a oh. picture of me. Oh, nice. <laughs> finger guns? And I didn't do finger guns. No. <laughs> That's not my style. <laughs> that is cool. I love it's it. It's totally Ted's style, not my yeah. style. What did little Don Grimshaw want to be when she grew up? Was it an FBI agent or something else? Well, when I was little, little, I wanted to be a veterinarian because everybody loves animals, right? And then, yeah, after I was probably junior high or high school, then I got into the law enforcement and wanting to be an FBI agent. When you found out what the real world was like and you're like, (laughs) you sons of bitches, I'm putting you behind bars. Right. Yeah, that was totally Is that PG-13? I don't know. but I think I could say one of those per episode. Yeah. (laughs) It's like Marvel. I I think you're right. I've been on other podcasts that were much much raunchier. I think you're all right to say that one word. We save all that content for off the air stuff. Ted. Denless does donkey noises. <laughs> yeah, maybe there'll be a donkey noise over that. Probably. Be like, I wonder I what Owen said. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. We are at your funeral. Joe is really sad. Uh, Joe's going long before me. Is he? Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Plot twist here. Sorry, sorry <laughs> not, Joe. Not, not by like my hands or anything. Uh, right. But just, right. She, okay. He's older and much more unhealthy than I am. <laughs> Who's going to run the accounting then? <laughs> <laughs> by then, I hope I'm not hands on on any of it. So. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. So. Uh, we're at your funeral. Joe is long past. <laughs> and uh, you had now have a pool boy and other people to run uh-huh. your uh, financials. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> who is giving your eulogy and what do you hope they will say about you? Um, I'm assuming one of my children. And I would like them to say that I was a great mom, a wonderful person, and that they're so proud of all of my accomplishments and everything that I left them. The legacy that I they left them, but I don't know what they would actually say. So. She's gonna get up there and say, "I really wish my mom would have taught me more about real estate investing." Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> and I've, then just drops I've the tried. mic. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. Kidding. No, my kids will probably say my mom spent too much time on her phone. <laughs> Taking uh, taking phone calls and responding to texts when she sort of been spending quality time with us. <laughs> they say. won't say that. I hope. <laughs> Don, I I meant to ask this during the middle of the podcast, but is there like an end game to you uh, with this? I mean, is there a point where you want, would like to retire or enjoy the enjoy what you've built? Hundred percent. Yeah. You know what that looks like is still kind of a work in progress. I mean, I have kind of a time frame in my mind of when I want to be done with the day-to-day selling real estate. Um, I I have kind of an end plan. I've got a team and I've got people that, you know, hopefully I can pass the team off to to, to lead the team when I'm ready to go. Um, but I'm not going to just completely stop real estate. It would just be like I'd keep my license and I'd still do my own stuff. And if I had, you know, a good friend or a family member or something or a past client that I love that I wanted to work with, then I could. But it's all on my time and, you know, when I feel like working and not at everybody else's time and working 24-7. Um, and then eventually I'm going to turn all of our rentals over to somebody else to manage. But the, the control yet. freak of you hasn't retired yet. yet. I don't know. I don't know how long that'll take me. <laughs> I, I predict this will happen when grandbabies come. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, I have a lot of um, ideas. You know, we, we like to buy houses. And so, you know, we have the one in Arizona. We're looking for another one in Arizona. I have some other areas that I would like to purchase properties, both in the States and maybe internationally. 
Um, and then, you know, you can just do the whole, you live two years in each one of them and make that your primary residence and then sell it capital gains free and move to the next one. So that's kind of my long-term goal is, you know, have a place here and also have a place in multiple other places that we can divide our time. And Well, it kind of leads into our question here too, is, you know, if I'm calling you a year from now, you know, where, where what's Dawn going to be doing? How's your life going to change? What's your portfolio going to look like if we want to get you back on a podcast and get a recap? Yeah, well, a year from now, I mean, my life probably won't look much different. I'll still be selling real estate. Um, I'll still be investing. You know, right now, I'm really looking at, I'm trying to double my portfolio in the next couple years, um, at least in the next five years, but I'm running into a lot of issues with just trying to get things to cash flow at the current interest rate. So every deal I'm running numbers on, um, just doesn't cash flow. I mean, I've been looking at some bigger apartment buildings because it's pretty easy to double your portfolio if you just go buy a, you know, 40, 50, 60 unit building. Um, and I just can't, I mean, even like the 20, 30 unit ones, I just can't get them to cash flow with what taxes and, and, you know, what the fees are. You get their cost sheets, like they'll send you their financials. And at the end of the year, they made like $10,000 and that didn't include their $22,000 to the government for your taxes and their interest carry. And so I'm like, well, that doesn't really cash flow then, does it? <laughs> now, I have a question for you. Do you think in your experience, when we have a rising interest rate environment like we do now, and you and we talked about this before you got on the podcast and then you know you just brought it up, you're, you, you're underwriting potential deals out there and none of them make sense, mm -hmm. but they don't make sense off of the asking price. Right. So do you bother or at what point do you bother putting in lowball offers? We, I don't know that we've talked about this a whole lot in the, in recent episodes, but we're getting to that point, especially mm -hmm. entering the winter markets in the Midwest can generally be, you know, pretty slow for real estate. Do you, I, I guess, do you get up, get to a point where you're like, you know what, here's a number that works for me and this probably isn't going to work for you, but here's an offer. So I have been throwing out a lot of verbal offers, not a lot of written offers, but I'll say like, hey, I, I ran the numbers on this. It just doesn't make sense at that price. And then they'll always be like, well, what price does it make sense at? And I tell them and they're like, oh, no, he's not going to sell it for that. I'm like, well, OK, if he changes his mind, let me know. Um, so I think there's a, still a lot of mindset in a seller's mind that we're still in you know, 2021, early 2022 when the market was hot. Um, rates were low and people were willing to pay that much for those properties. I mean, there's several properties that I bought in the last couple of years that I wouldn't buy today at a seven and a half percent interest rate, but they made sense at the time. And now I've got the low interest rate and it's fine. Um, I had one property that I bought last year that when they came out with the new tax levy, I mean, it, it doubled. My taxes doubled Ouch. and it would not have made sense at double taxes on that apartment building. Um, and, you know, now it's really cutting into my cash flow, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I mean, you, you try to protest your taxes and sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. Um, but the numbers have to make sense today. And if the numbers make sense at a seven and a half percent interest rate, I know rates are going to come back down and I can always refinance. And then that's just going to increase what I'm going to net on that property. But it has to make sense at the current interest rate. I mean, there's cash buyers out there that they don't care about the interest rate and that's fine. Um, but most people are probably going to have to get a loan on that and what they're carrying costs is are huge. I like that. So you, you put scrutiny on the interest rate and that's reflective of uh, what offer makes sense for you. And if you're, if you're fine making offers to save time and effort, you're doing verbal ones to, mm -hmm. to listing agents on properties because you buy a lot of stuff off the MLS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that approach. And you never know, like they may come back to you in a month or two after they, after something sits for a while and be like, is your offer still good? Yeah. yeah that totally. happens a lot, right? Yeah. And like, that's what we're doing in Arizona too. Um, <laughs> 
we were looking to spend the same thing on a new building here and because we can't find anything that cash flows and we've looked at other asset classes i've looked at commercial we looked at some storage units um and we just can't find anything that cash flows here right now so then you know the vacation rentals you can get a higher per night rate even though the market's completely saturated there <laughs> but you can still get if you figure you know we just figure very conservatively so if we have a 50 percent occupancy and we can only get this nightly rate which is probably you know, two thirds of what we can actually get and the numbers make sense, then we'll still we'll still buy it. And so, you know, our agent has been looking at a lot of properties there for us and we'll just throw out things like, hey, if we offered this with this much of a, you know, credit at closing, you know, would your seller be interested in that? And if they're not, then we move on to something else. But we're seeing houses sit longer in some of those, you know, hot second home markets, vacation areas. Um, so there's there's more negotiation, but there's still a lot of that mindset that sellers still think it's, you know, last year and buyers think it's 2008. <laughs> so yeah. we're somewhere in between that and we haven't reconciled that yet. But I think that there's going to be some really, really good buying opportunities going forward over the next year um, in, in a lot of areas. I mean, a lot of asset classes, but particularly commercial where, you know, it's all about the numbers and to do the numbers make sense. Yeah, I love that. Uh, well, in your business right now, is there anything that you might be looking for, whether it's uh, something for your business or or people or deal types, uh, anything like that, where somebody listening to this might know of something and might be able to you know help you or or throw it your way? Absolutely. If anybody has a building that'll cash flow, please reach out to me. <laughs> like we are actively looking to buy right now. If I can just find something that cash flows, so if you've got something you know off market that you're thinking about selling, I'm not interested in single family houses here um, anymore. We're probably you know only interested in multifamily, um, smaller or medium. Not I'm not down for a couple hundred units yet. <laughs> gotcha. Something okay. something in that you know even a duplex. I like duplexes a lot, but four to 25 units is kind of my sweet spot right now. Awesome. Well, Don, uh, if somebody listening to this, hears what you're looking for and they may have an idea on a property for you that fits your criteria, how can our listeners reach you and what's the best way to maybe to support you either on social media or, you know, personally? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's Don Grimshaw, realtor. Um, and then you can always call or, or email me to my phone number is 402-305-8631 and dgrimshaw at betteromaha.com. Um, I'm also an agent. So if you're thinking about buying or selling, I know Ted here is an agent and you know, you I'm might, go- might want to call him, no. but if you want somebody who really knows what they're doing, <laughs> somebody wants that traditional real estate. <laughs> That's right. If you're, if you're not an investor and you want to buy or sell real estate, let me know. I'll help you if you're an investor too. But. Awesome. <laughs> Don, one question we always like to ask is what mentors in your life have impacted you and who do you want to give a shout out to? You know, there's so many people that over the years have have impacted me. I mean, obviously, all of the ones that you you think of from, you know, books to podcasts. I mean, all of the Bigger Pockets podcasts are phenomenal. If you're not listening to those, you should be, um, you know, so you can get a mentorship that's not like an actual person that you know in real life. I mean, just somebody that wrote a great book or has a great podcast, you can learn so much from. Um, but, you know, personally, my broker, I don't know if you guys know Tom Simmons, but he is pretty amazing. And you should probably try to get him on here. Like he's an investing fiend. <laughs> but 
but you know I have learned so much from him and you know having been a realtor for this long you always think you know just about everything um, and then you come up with some situation that you've never encountered before and I've been at other brokerages in the past where you'd go to your manager or um, the general manager for the company and you know their answer is always like well let's talk to the attorney let's figure I mean it was just they never would, would really be much help um, and you know you go to Tom and he's like you need to do this this and this and this is how you do it and I'm like sweet all right let's do it and so it's just night and day difference on how he approaches business and the the knowledge pool that he has uh sorry before you continue i have something that i wanted to ask i was gonna ask it off here but i think i'll ask it now you mentioned previously that when you get um investor clients it's usually newer investor clients right so you point them to bigger pockets mm -hmm. why haven't you thought of and this could go to either one of you why haven't you all thought of creating content that you could give or sell to those newer clients that is more concise and to the point than sending them to bigger pockets and they don't know how to navigate bigger pockets. They don't know where to find their questions or things like that. Well, it's funny, kind of Sarah Weaver touched us too. She She's a real estate agent. She was with Keller Williams out of Texas. She worked under Gary Keller. And uh, she created a whole program of just how buyers should work with real estate investment uh, agents. agents. Yeah. And it was just a course just for the for your buyers. So if, when, when, when the clients came to the agents, they actually – Sent her to Sarah Weaver, mm -hmm. and Sarah taught the courses on how how to work with your agents. No, I think that's great, <laughs> and there's a lot of opportunities out there. There are already a lot of content creators. Um, honestly, the market's pretty saturated with that as well, and I just don't have the time. I mean, I sell a lot of real estate. I run a real estate team, and I also do a lot of investing and personally manage all of my investments. So there's only so many hours in the day, and content creating is. It's very time-consuming and labor-intensive, and I just I don't have the time. Fair enough. <clears throat> Do you anticipate hiring anyone on your real estate team? Yeah. I mean, I totally am always looking for the right agent. Like, if if somebody does business the way that we do it and it's not even like they have a lot of experience and they have a big database already it's just they've got to be willing to learn they've got to be willing to work and they have to want to work relationally because that's that's how i work you know if somebody wants to be handed leads i am not the team leader for you i don't buy leads we don't do zillow we don't do boomtown um, you know there's a lot of teams out there that do that and they're big teams and they'll give you a 50% split because they're buying all the leads and they're paying all the money for that um, you know I I want to teach people how to be a better realtor and how to create business for themselves so hopefully they want to stay on our team and we have a lot of great opportunities for them you know they get to use our assistant our marketing coordinator um, we do monthly marketing for them automatically we do all their social media for them um, so there's a lot of great things that you get for being on the team but i'm not going to hand you leads that's the answer right that's there. the answer yeah good. good that was good well, uh, before we conclude today, we have a review to read out there. And this is from Rita Yu. And I think this is Rita Urban. And I was somebody I've been trying to get on the podcast also. I think it should be fun. But she said, Owen and Ted are knowledgeable and passionate and full of real estate investing tips. Podcast is full of actionable tips and golden nuggets every week. Thanks for sharing your beautiful minds with us every week. I will never ask if uh, if I can pick anyone's brain ever again. She did a whole bunch of smiley faces on her. <laughs> so Thanks, she, Rita. So she listens to it faithfully. <laughs> so it's a great one. Uh, if you're listening for the first time or the 69th time, Definitely give us a review uh, on whatever uh, format that you listen to. A five-star review would be awesome. And if you're on 
uh, Apple, and there's a couple of formats you can do written reviews. We love to uh, read those out there, so we appreciate you guys. Also, check us out on our social media pages. We have Rio Radio on uh, Snapchat. We have Rio Radio on on Instagram. Uh, that's the only two formats on there. If you have any suggestions or a person that you think would be good on a podcast, reach us out on our Instagram page. Otherwise, you can check out Denless Bertrand or O Dog Twenty Four. Twenty Four. 24, 24. 24, 24. And I am Cash Money on my personal page. And uh, do you have an Instagram handle you want to shout out? John Grimshaw Realtor. Love that. <laughs> With that, oh, dog, 2424, you want to see us out? On behalf of Denless Bertrand, Rhea Radio, and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Don, the friendly ghost whisperer, Grimshaw, <laughs> signing off. <laughs> Don, I got people. <laughs> That's a good one. I do got people. So I tell all my clients they make fun of me because I'm always like, I got a guy for that. Don't worry about it. I got a guy that makes that. I got a guy that can do that. I got a guy that can do that.